You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. On today's show, we'll be talking about some games played, followed by some games that we're looking forward to. Our topic today is two-player games, and we'll end the show with our top three favorite family weight games. This is episode number 24. We are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Christo. I'm Justine. I have recently discovered something about myself during this pandemic, during the lockdown. Uh, It's nothing significant. Like, I haven't found a new author or discovered Pilates or anything. It's simply that I've realized that I'm not comfortable unless I have unplayed games on my shelf. Now, this is something, yeah, it's something completely contrary to what I thought beforehand. But with the lockdown in place, I played a lot of my unplayed games. I think I had about 17, and I'm down to about five. And a lot of those are like situational games. Like they play three and over, and I only have two players. Or some of them are campaign-style games, and I'm not trying to play those with two players. But anyway, I realized this because I went through all the games and I had this need for like new and a new experience, right? So like the whole point of me having this large library is to have a variety of games. Part of that variety I realized is like new experiences. And if I don't have those to choose from and several, I guess, I don't feel that comfortable. So I had to go out and get back into it and buy a bunch of games, which I'll, I'll talk about uh, during uh, games looking forward to. But I just found that interesting that like this was something that I thought I had a problem with, you know, of like, oh, man, I need to get these games played. I feel guilty. I feel bad about have, having purchased them and they're just sitting there. But now I found contentment with some games unplayed on my shelves. Do you guys understand That's- this? Yeah, I have so many play games. I don't think I'll ever be in your situation. Pretty much of like, oh, I have nothing to play, and I have to find something new. But no, I I know what you mean. Um, I if I ever got to the point of like having played all my games enough, I would probably feel like you know, um, just looking for something new. Yeah, I definitely you. agree. So I have this like excuse for my sickness now. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I think it's good. Uh, like, it just kind of goes along with just kind of discovering new stuff and kind of like you don't want to read the same book over and over, maybe. Um, you want to see something new, and that's mm-hmm. probably got to do with it. New theme, even. Um, new art, just something new. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely it. So, we've played some games, and we're going to talk about them now. So the first game I want to talk about is Inner Compass. Uh, I had talked about this and looking forward to back in uh, episode 16. And the only thing I knew about it was the theme, which is like uh, kind of like seemed like a, maybe a, a, a game of life style theme where you're like going through emotions and, and, uh, and going down different paths. Uh, but I bought it. It just released this year. It's from AGE. AEG, uh, two to four players, about 60 minutes, but the two-player game for us took us about 28 minutes. Uh, this game, forget about the theme. 
because it's completely an abstract game. And I won't explain it in too much detail, but this is the gist of the game. You have a deck of cards. These cards have emotions on them portrayed by um, pictures and colors. So you have like white, which represents love, red, which represents anger, yellow, which is happiness. And then the pictures on them uh, depict like situations where you might be angry or be in love or be happy. But you have these deck of cards and you flip one face up like north, south, east, west, right? So like up uh, above the deck, below the deck, and to the right and left of the deck. And then you have a grid, which is colors and a bunch of squares. And you have a player piece. So your first turn could be to move within a cluster of colors that are next to each other for free. And then you have a mandatory move. And if you go up, then you take the card that is above the deck, right? If you go down then below the deck, right, left. And if you're on red and you and you move up to red and you and the card that you're going to take is red, then you get the top deck as a bonus. All right. You're getting cards because you're going to play cards via kind of ticket to ride style where you play a number of different cards of the same color. For instance, let's say you're playing three red cards. You play three red cards as part of your turn after moving and you get points depending on where the red cube is. So there's a there's like a track and each one will have a color on it so it'll have like a like three cards for red one card for white for example and depending on where it is on that track is how many victory points you get so if i play three reds and it's at the very top of the track i'm going to get six points but then that block that red block is going to move down to the bottom and push everything up making the red now worth one point so that's one way to score points the other way is when you do that which is called like um experiencing an emotion or something like that you put you have your own player board that has rows and columns of your colored squares on top of different colored squares representing the emotions and when you implant an emotion you get to take off one of your squares and put them on the common board when you fill when you remove a row or column from your player board you get to place one of two of your scoring markers on a scoring opportunity that's going to happen at the end of the game that is connected to what's happening on the common board. So like where you put your squares. And that's pretty much the game in a nutshell. Uh, This looks and sounds pretty boring, but as an abstract game, I like it. I, I, I thought it was pretty decent. There's an expert variant where you flip your player board and now each row that you take from is going to give you like a special ability. Like uh, when you're implanting that particular emotion, if you take off from that row, then you get to play any card as a wild card. Or one is uh, points. So however many squares you took off that row, you get more and more points. One is kind of like it gives you more movement as you take more and more off the row. But I think it's a pretty decent game. Again, the theme is not there at all. The pictures are kind of funny. And but kind of enjoyed it. So that's Inner Compass. Cool. 
Now, I'm looking at actually as you were talking about it on BGG, and it's still really hard to understand what exactly is happening. I get the basic idea of the game. Uh, looks interesting, though. Yeah, this is a very weird game. Actually, I don't know how you found out about it. It's hardly reviewed by anyone, and yeah, it looks very abstract, and pictures are cool. Yeah, um, I cards. saw it in a board game magazine, and I, I am interested in AEG games. They're more misses than hits for me. And <laughs> yeah, that's my impression actually as well. And it's uh, it's it is it's it's a little complicated to explain via just my voice without the board, but it's actually really easy to learn. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. really straightforward game. Make all everything makes perfect sense, and there's some yeah, really yeah. cool decisions in it. That sounds really cool. Um, so I've been able to play Teotihuacan a whole bunch these past couple weeks. I think I've played it seven or eight times, sometimes multiple times in a day. Um, and so Teotihuacan, the base game, is a rondelle-style game where you go, um, you have dice that you move around a wheel, and you take actions at these different places and you get points by doing things like building pyramids, collecting masks. It's kind of a point soupy type game. Um, and then we added in the expansion, the first expansion, which is the late pre-classical era, which lots of people have made fun of because it's a really dry name for an expansion but it adds a whole bunch of modules that's, that are really cool. So like variable player powers, um, seasons that change the rules of the game periodically, uh, new ways to build the pyramid, things like that. So Matt and I have played Teotihuacan with the late pre-classical expansion multiple times and we like it. The new expansion that we bought at SaltCon and haven't had a chance to play with is um, in the shadow of Shitla. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's I looked it up. Family, family show, Justine. Watch your mouth. <laughs> I know. I think we decided that's how you pronounce it. I don't know what right. they thought that was a good idea for a name, but um, the name has nothing to do with the expansion. It's basically like a promo set almost. It's comes in a tiny, tiny box and it's just extra technology tiles and extra um, bonus tiles that you pick from at the beginning of the game. Um, and I didn't think it was going to change the game that much. Oh, it's nuts. It's like a whole new game when you add those new tech tiles and bonus tiles in. Um, it's uh, just adds a little bit of variability to it. The base game, you play with six tech tiles at a time. And it comes with like 10, I think. So you're always guaranteed to have some of the same. But now you have a whole stack of them to choose from. So every game, the techs are completely different, which means the way you're scoring points are completely different, which means the game's completely different. This is one of those games that when I get done playing, I'm ready to pull out and play again, um, which is really convenient because it means you don't have to put it away. Um, I think Matt and I, our record is playing it three times in a row. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And this it's isn't, really it's not a short game. game, right? A short game? It's not a short no. game. No, 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 it's not short at all. 
it's pretty long and it's actually nice to play it multiple times in a row because the setup does take so long when you pull it out of the box because you have to figure out where the action spaces go, the tech tiles, and especially with the middle expansions, the late pre-classical era, you end up having to um, set up a bunch of extra stuff. So it's nice to play it a couple of different times um, without having to put it away in between. So that is Teotihuacan. Yeah, interesting. I I don't know. For some reason, I'm in the position of I wanted to like the game, and um, I like it okay. It's just whenever someone says the name of it, I just don't get the excitement excitement of wanting to play it. For some reason, I don't know why, but it's it's a good game. That nothing mechanically against it. Maybe like the theme of it is kind of meh for me, but mm. yeah, the theme's definitely a little. It's there through the art, and that's about it. Yeah. I have very similar feelings as Freesto. Um but I, I had a really bad experience the first time I played. I kind of like locked myself out of turns. Um it definitely is very punishing, I think, but uh I would play it again. Now when you say you played it back to back, do you mean like no break in between? Yeah. Wow. So three times in a row, just like, all right, game's over, let's do it again. Yeah. I mean, did you re-randomize like the positions of things and the technologies? Yeah, re-randomized everything. I think the contributing factor was I lost all three times, so I wanted to like redeem myself because I lost pretty hard. But yeah, we just played it and kept playing it. Sure, your competition is pretty strong. Matt's pretty crazy Mm -hmm. with games. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was definitely a case of like getting done and just being like, nope, play it again, another. <laughs> so um, I played a couple of games. Actually, one of them is Nemesis two more times over the last couple of weeks. Um, I have a friend whose um, brother is really into Nemesis and he likes it a lot. Um, I don't like it so much um, and I keep actually banging my head against the wall in that game, that's kind of what it feels like um, I haven't actually survived a single game yet until the end uh, let alone finishing an, an objective or anything um, kind of general impressions from the game continue to be it's pretty random and sometimes like funny bad things happen uh, yesterday we played it and three of us had like these incredible streaks of bad luck which resulted in someone dying kind of early uh someone having a really tough time and dying and then me like kind of hopelessly stumbling through trying to fulfill my objective and eventually the game just like shutting me down which was hilarious so anyway um kind of kind of an interesting um kind of an interesting experience but I'm kind of actually increasingly glad I didn't actually buy that game, uh, even with the rules revisions. I'm fine with uh, playing it as like a betrayal, uh, the House of the Hill experience, but um, yeah, it's it's okay. Uh, the cooler thing I played was actually the expansions to Runestones, um, both of them actually. Uh, so, one of them is called the Nocturnal Creatures, which is kind of like a darker theme, and it's actually kind of very thematic, which I'll mention. Um, the other one is called In the Enchanted Forest, which is kind of a brighter theme. So, um, 
the Runestones base game, I think we've talked about it before, have we? I don't know. Um, we talked about it on our, about our bonus episode. I talked about it when we uh, recorded at SaltCon Live. Yeah, basically, in short, it's a deck-building game. It's very straightforward, kind of. Um, the cool thing about it is when you actually do the things on the cards, the cards automatically disappear. You have to discard one of two cards you play for the things that they actually do. And the card effects are basically some resource collection stuff, which eventually gets you points and engine building stuff. So it's kind of an engine building game with, um, yeah, pretty much collect these gems to turn them in for points. Like very, very uh, high level uh, explanation of the game. So expansions. Uh, so the um, I think my impressions of the Enchanted Forest one, which is kind of the bright one, are very positive, and I think the other one is actually somewhat negative. And uh, the reason of that, because of the, the reason for that, is the Enchanted Forest actually adds. Uh, there's these powers that you get, uh, which. Um, kind of our engine building powers basically you can hold six cards you can play more cards you get more points when you play cards they're just like really positive things for you and you get them when you get these rune stones fulfilled the enchanted forest adds more of those powers so the base game only has six the enchanted forest oh just kidding eight i think mm, i think it's eight uh the enchanted forest gets another eight in there so now there's 16 and there's some variants how you can play the game you can choose which what we did uh, when we played it you, you just choose out of the 16 a set of eight and you just play with that there's actually a cool variant where you choose like two or three of each and you put them in a bag and you actually draw like replenish them so it becomes like a market of engine powers which also is an interesting idea i think um so I think that's a positive because the base game is kind of like very stale in my opinion because once you kind of get something going it hopefully works out or not and it's kind of the same game every time with these powers the game changes substantially um, like some things that I think were kind of a must in the base set are maybe missing. So now you're forced to explore kind of different strategies every time the game starts, which I think is really cool. The other thing that the expansion adds, which I think is really good as well, is a track where if you don't like one of your cards, you can just forfeit the action completely to move up on this track, which gets you just other cool things. Like you might get a card draw or just another resource or something. So I think that's a really good mitigation if you have a card that like you just don't care about like it's like a payment of gems for something or dice roll or whatever and you're just like i just wish i wasn't holding this card you can just take a track movement which is also points at the end of the game by the way whoever's first gets like an additional eight points so it's a nice like mitigation for useless cards uh situationally useless cards uh, also, you get these tiles once in a while, which are you can use other people's powers and like really cool things. Um, so that's the Enchanted Forest, which I think was a good expansion. The other one is kind of hilarious. Um, we played this game called um, Race to the New Race to the Newfoundland, and uh, it kind of adds the same thing. I don't know if you remember Justine. You probably do because you had a really good time with that game. I'm being sarcastic. Probably definitely not a good time with that game. Um, I think it's still okay but um so it adds positive things to the score track uh that's one thing that the thing that it adds is these wisps uh 
So you put tokens on the score track and every five spaces and like 50% of them or something or 30% of them are these wisps. So when you reach one, you get something cool. Uh, to me, that's kind of um, a rich get richer mechanic. And yeah, it was fun because I won last time. But I think it's just kind of ridiculous because the game was already a racing game and like you better just go fast. But now it's even more of a racing game if you add that mechanic in there because the first time, the, the faster you go up in score, the more like cool things you get out of it so it's just like this insanity of whoever gets up on the point track first everyone gets the power but like you get it earlier and speed is everything in that game so it just kind of makes the game like the more you score points the more you score points so it's kind of ridiculous the other thing that it adds is also a little bit um, iffy uh, it adds these cards so there's new cards now in the card market uh, called Ban and one of the effects is actually a take that um, mechanic which I feel like was not really necessary in that game um, the card actually steals a gem of a color from everyone so um, yeah that's just one of the banshees the other ones are more okay yeah, you can search the discard pile and take a card you take a wisp tile which is another thing that you can use right now which is just something else uh, the one that was really controversial in my hand in my opinion was the uh, steel uh, banshee um, maybe it was okay because we each of us got one uh, when we played, but I can imagine someone having like all of them and just stealing runes from the entire table, and I don't know if that's such a good time. But I guess it goes along with the theme, so um, kind of a darker theme, so it introduces Take That. So I would kind of say that I think the Enchanted Forest is really good. Um, Nocturnal creatures, not so much, but it's okay. I guess it makes the game a little bit different. Uh, so yeah, that's Runestones. Overall, I think uh, adding the expansions makes the game a lot more interesting, and I would probably always play with at least the Enchanted Forest, or want to play with the Enchanted Forest. I think going back to the base game is kind of like bland now that I've seen like just the different new things that you can do. So that's Nocturnal Stones, and that's all games I had played. Okay, so um, with Nocturnal Creatures, the, the second expansion you're talking about yep. with the um, with the score track, now I'm going to play Devil's Advocate a little bit, because if I remember correctly, in Runestones, you it is a race for points, so whoever gets to certain points wins. However, it seemed like you have a choice to wait to collect several things to cash in for a big amount of points, or and that takes a little bit of time or keep getting small amount of points right so wouldn't this yes. encourage players to more quickly move up on the track rather than i don't know I, it seems no, like no, maybe no. It's i see i see exactly what you're saying um that didn't work out that way when we played the game because basically i was kind of scoring points more quickly and that at sideboard of cool things helped me um, score even more points. Like actually, I'm looking at the screenshots on BG, and it reminded me one of the tiles is just get three more points. So like, <laughs> if you make it somewhere first to some certain points, you can choose that tile, and you can get three more points. <laughs> That's like <laughs> you get points because you score points. Uh, no, I I think it should encourage that. Yeah, but. 
Um, I think the efficiency is still good if you wait. It just kind of rewards... I mean, ultimately, everyone's kind of doing the same thing in that game, and I don't think you're going to get a benefit so much of rushing it. Um, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I think the in most cases, yeah, situationally, maybe you want something on that board, and you'll, you're will you going to rush a, a cash out of, of points and take, like, one less or something. But it just kind of rewards whoever... Um, kind of was maybe more lucky to ultimately actually what happened is me and someone else were doing exactly the same strategy i just did it like one or two turns earlier somehow i don't know how maybe with card luck or just having the right cards or having the right powers so i think it just exacerbates that problem so to speak of maybe there's like an ultimate way to play with the powers that are out on the board then you just hope that you're the luckier person and i think if you're the luckier person also you get more bonuses earlier which makes it even better maybe i don't know but i see what you're saying it should encourage you earlier cash outs it just kind of in practice really didn't um it just made the first player win more uh last time (laughs) we played but i will uh, yeah i'll continue playing it maybe give it a few more tries and see how it works out yeah i was thinking about buying this game recently and if i were to i would definitely get the expansion so yeah maybe yeah, i don't know i Both think enchanted okay. forest is excellent i think should definitely get enchanted forest uh, nocturnal creatures is kind of like a um positive negative wherever i'm i'm fine with it it's not a complete disaster it's just kind of less enjoyable for me slightly gotcha uh the last game i want to talk about is something i talked about on the previous episode for games looking forward to and i actually got to play it and it's um brussels 1897 which is the card game version of brussels 1893 um so i i should mention that i have not played the board game this, the card game is the only one I've played. And I should also mention that um, it's a card game, but it's one of those card games that are is definitely just could have been a board game, and it's just with cards. And it's actually kind of a big footprint, uh, especially depending on how many players you're playing because you're making a grid of cards, which makes up kind of a board. And if you're playing with four players, the grid is going to be significantly bigger. Um, I played it at two players, and it hardly fit on the the table that I usually play at at home. But anyhow, it calls itself a worker placement game, and it sort of is. Uh, these cards come out from round to round, and you could get nobles, which is kind of an engine building thing. Um, but you have to go to an action to um, to trigger the nobles' abilities. You can get art, which could later be sold for points. Um, You can get building materials, which can build buildings, which could give you more points. And there's tracks that you're trying to move up, which are going to give you um, better points at the end of the game and make you able to trigger your nobles, more nobles that are sitting in front of you. And there's permanent actions that are on the top of the board. And so what you're doing is you have cards which are workers essentially and there's like strong workers from like two to five uh values and when you play them you have to pay that much money so if i play a four worker down and i have to exchange it with the card that i'm taking um i have to pay four bucks right um and why would i want to put a more powerful worker down well there's also area majority happening so you check each row uh column excuse me column and if you have the most 
uh, sum of powers of workers in that row, then you will call them, you will get um, certain special abilities throughout the game. And then at the end of the game, that will change uh, to points, certain scoring opportunities. This game, I really enjoyed. I liked it a lot. It's one of those games where when you read the rules, you go, oh, this sounds okay. But then in practice, it I thought it worked really well. Um, there's a lot more to the game. I just kind of skimmed over um, basically how it plays. But um, it's it's it feels just like a big, like kind of heavy card game. But it's not that complicated. What I'm saying is that it feels more like a board game. It feels like... Um, a board game experience and really um, scratches that itch of like if you want to play a Euro game um, in, a, I guess, a smaller box, but it's going to be just the size of a board game on your table. But I, I was really satisfied with it and it made me really want to play the board game and see the differences. So that might be coming soon for me. So that's uh, Brussels 1897. Just a side note, I also yeah. played it a couple of weeks ago on BG, uh, table, tabletop simulator uh, with people. I think it's a good game, but I think if you like it, you're going to like the board game even more. Um, I liked it, and it actually is pretty true to the board game. Uh, like, th everything you do in that in the card game actually happens in the board game as well. It's just like the card game is very simplified in a lot of ways. So I think you're really going to like the board game if you like the card game, because the card game I felt like was okay, but it had some like kind of luck elements, and because of the skill scaled down just kind of mechanics it kind of was felt like was was missing some like things magic uh with just the things you do um it was okay though uh kind of kind of an okay game um yeah cool game i, I i'm not i was thinking about if i should get it but now that you have it maybe not so i'll just play your copy whenever but it it does play in half the time and i guess you have to make that sacrifice of um do you want to go for the full experience in double the time or the card game in half the time it's pretty true to the board game though in feel so you're what telling me i bought is... the wrong version hmm. sorry go ahead justine i was going to ask because i've only played the full board game version i think it's 1897 what is different about it, Hristo? Because um, okay, so instead of doing that corner thing on the board, you yeah. just the air majority is not about corners; it's like columns. So you just like fight for columns based on worker power. It's very simple. Okay. The art, the building. Um, I think you just build with any materials you want. Like yep. I think the board game had like specific materials that are required for certain buildings. Yeah. In the board in the card game, like it's whatever materials you want, you just get more points if you use like three different materials. So like very simple. Um the nobles track, I think it's there's some uh, the way you get arrested in the board game is different in the card game. I think the card game is simplified. Um it's just whoever has the 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 most workers in that in that uh, marketplace goes to jail. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, maybe it's That's the, same. the same. Yeah. The exhibition of art, I can't remember how it worked in the board game, but in the card game, the exhibition is like you trigger it by just getting one of the spaces and it just happens in a circle. You just exhibit a different work of art. I think, I can't remember how it works in the board game, but it's, it's a different mechanic. The nobles are only four different powers. I think the board game has more powers for nobles. Like they do 
more things in general. Okay. Basically, everything is just kind of like scaled down. It's there, but it's just like a simple, simple version of what's happening in the board game. So, yeah. That it kind of just it, and it be, as a result, it kind of feels a little bit lucky. Of like maybe a certain card is in a certain position, and it works well with the column goal that I'm I want, or like the column. Uh, the the way you progress on tracks is also tied to the columns. So like card positions are really important. Where the card comes out, sometimes in my opinion, maybe too important. Uh, in the board game, the way you progress on tracks, I can't remember how, but it's a little bit different. Um, yeah. It's just okay. more elaborate in the board game version. So it's there, but it's just kind of very simple. Which I actually don't Makes like sense. when they do that. When I when they just water down, they call it a card game, but they just water down the board game. Um, like I think a good example of how to make a card game is Colbaron, because I played those back to back. And although they had very similar things, the scoring was so different that it felt like a completely different game. And that that's yeah, that's a shame. Uh, I feel like I bought the wrong one because uh, it's the board game sounds better. It's 1893 is the board game. Um, oh, okay. So I'll probably buy the board game and then go, what do I do with this card game? I guess if I, I mean, it, it was like 30 minutes long. So the board game's probably like an hour and a half, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, that's the benefit is, yes, the board game is just better in all ways. I think it's just like double the time, really, or more than double probably. So, yeah, if you want a shorter game, uh, definitely the card game is the way to go. But if you want the full experience, I think the board game is it. Yeah, I guess you could use the card game as yeah. a filler game. Matt and I have the board game, so... I, I have it as well. It's just a really good game, I think. It's, like, actually kind of an underappreciated game. I think it's... Uh, there's a lot of stuff actually going on in the board game, and the card game also felt kind of like that. There's just, like, things pulling you in five different ways. Yeah. But I think that's something I really enjoy in, in games is, like, it's very difficult to kind of figure out what the best move is in my opinion in that game because it just shifts so much depending on what other people do and it's not in a take that way it's like interaction in like kind of a blocking way or just yeah, like, like he's very going Euro. for that in a drafting way drafting yeah. slash blocking way because like someone's going for this so I should go for something else kind of a way of thinking and there's a lot of like things to consider which is really cool I think in that game oh yeah that's what I was going to say too about the card game it calls itself a worker play game but it feels more like drafting it just feels like a little more interesting version of yeah, a drafting I, game I, it has like a lot of cool stuff actually it has like an area majority spatial element it has like uh oh in the crests element. you're making crest, building element you're making crests with the cards too i forgot about that that's an area majority you're not just doing columns but you're uh the yes. cards have corner crest symbols oh so you do do the corner thing okay. yeah yeah so if yes. you're if if you have majority of um what makes up a crest in the cards then then you get um some points based on where you are on a track there's just like a lot of stuff going on in the game which is really good uh, sometimes there's a lot of stuff and it feels bad and that game i think is just right like just the right amount of engine building just the right amount of like drafting just the right amount of like resource management uh, it, it's it's really cool i think yeah i found That's it awesome. to be a really cool card game all right, so that was some games played. So up next will be some games we're looking forward to. Okay, um, I'm looking forward to 
playing the Morals app, which I bought yesterday. I had some Google points which are expiring from doing these surveys. I'm giving away my personal information. And uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I just wanted to buy an app and I was looking around. I was actually wandering between like Cottage Garden and Indian Summer and maybe Castles of King Ludwig, but I decided on Morals. Uh, Morals is a two-player game which I've looked at a while ago. I think Justine has already played it and Matt, they sounded like they've already played it. It's kind of like, I can't even remember exactly what it is. It has to do with mushrooms and cooking mushrooms. Um, kind of a card game, two-player only, that doesn't go up uh, more than two. So I've just procrastinated playing it uh, with people, so I thought I'd just get the app, so I'm probably going to give you impressions of what it was in a couple of weeks. The other thing that I wanted to... Um, mention was Kemet closed this week. I was actually surprised on Kickstarter. I was actually surprised how their Kickstarter wasn't really I don't think it was that like shiny looking. You know, I'm kind of used to looking at like the high production Kickstarters uh, from just Simon and just larger publishers with like very polished like gameplay videos and art and stuff and it kind of looked um, a little bit amateurish. Um, but I like the game enough to want to get the updated stuff. Um, in addition to new art, I think there's some mechanical stuff that's uh, in the game. I didn't even look that closely um, into it, but Kemet, uh, I think it's called Blood and Sand or something, the new updated version. They had an upgrade kit, actually, if you just want the gameplay stuff, but I was like, eh, I like the game enough to upgrade, so... I'm getting an updated Kemet sometime. Um, I think it's a good game. It's an area control game. Um, very kind of Euro-E uh, area control. Eh, I don't know if it's really Euro-E. It just kind of feels more controlled in some ways, even though it, it has a very heavy tech element, so you just like acquire these powers that make you different from other people over time. So, yeah, that's it. So, Morals app and Kemet. Cool. I have uh, quite a few games I'm looking forward to, and they're all on my shelf as we speak right now. I went out and, um, like I said in the beginning, just like bought a bunch of games, um, all that I had previous interest in and some I didn't. Okay, so here we go. First up is Watergate. Um, I was interested in this game before, but then when Justine and Matt were talking about it on a previous episode, um, it sounded really good to me. It's just... Um, one player is playing as the Washington Post and the other player is playing as Nixon. And it's kind of a streamlined version and shorter version of Twilight Struggle. So very much looking forward to this. I feel like this is one of those games that is going to get me into a piece of history that I didn't know much about because I I know about Watergate. I even got the reference from um, Forrest Gump, even though I don't know really the history of it. However, that's not a problem because the rule book is chock full of history. It has mm -hmm. the whole happening in it. It explains every single person that's on the card, what their role in this scandal was. Um, there's also movies and documentaries about it. So I feel like I'll be going down a rabbit hole when I actually end up playing this game. The other yes. one is a, um, it's me dipping my toe into war games now, I have some war-themed games like Memoir 44 and 
878 Vikings. I think like diehard war gamers would probably not consider these war games. Maybe just more like themed board games, like war themed board games. Um, I don't know. It might be how us Euro gamers look at like maybe something like Takedo or uh, Ticket to Ride. Like it's kind of Euro, but you know. Yeah. Anyway, so I wanted to try what a real war game is like without a 40 page rule book without you know six to eight hours of gameplay so i found one that had a lot of good reviews and that was and this is short for a war game it's three hours um it's uh cells the ardenes december 23rd through december 27th 1944 battles of the bulge volume one from revolution games this is actually a, a trend in board games like it'll it's the whole name of of the actual battle that took place. This game came in a big Ziploc bag. Uh, to give you some reference, the Ziploc bag is about the size of Castles of Burgundy. And in it has uh, the front kind of page that looks like a board game cover. And on the back has this uh, chart of all different kinds of things that is very unfamiliar to me. I haven't read the rules yet. Comes with a rule book, which is 12 pages which is very short for a war game um, and 88 chits, which is about a half sheet of chits, which also is very slim for a war game. And it comes with a paper mat. It un a map. It unfolds. It's uh, like poster style paper. So really thick paper and it's a chip pull system. And that's why I kind of got it. Cause it's like an introductory into the chip pull system. I kind of skim the rules and I'm having trouble wrapping my head around certain concepts of the game just because I haven't played a war game. Um, so I'm hoping this is one of these rule books. By the end of the rule book, I'll understand a lot more. But I might have to watch some some uh, some plays of this. But uh, I'm excited. It's a two-player only game. Typically, that's how war games are. Um, it's an actual battle. So I'm a little excited to play it. More just like. I just I just need to try one of these out of curiosity. Okay, so my next one is something I just picked up yesterday from Friedman Fries. It's Fast Sloths. Uh, very, very basic pickup and deliver game. Um, however, the, you're, you are a sloth. You're playing as a sloth, and you are getting picked up and delivered by different <laughs> animals on the board. Um, there's 12 animals, and you could put in six uh, different ones and they move differently over different terrain um you know i got this game for one because i am i have it's been a while since i bought a pickup and deliver game and i do like those this seemed like a, a little bit more of an interesting one and friedman freese's games kind of look like old games like this map looks like kind of terra mystica-esque and all the pieces look like early 2000s uh, or like 2010 and before kind of. Uh, you even have to put stickers on round wooden discs, which is like very old style. But it looks um, it looks like super easy, but maybe uh, maybe some some uh, some good some good gameplay in there. Christo, am I wrong? Did you talk about this game before? 
Uh, I really wanted to play it. I, well, I was trying to push it when people were still interested in playing on tabletop, and we just never played it because people, I don't know, people just weren't interested. But I read the rules, actually. I can uh, teach you the rules. Uh, I've forgotten a lot of them, really, but I almost wanted to say, like, if you're playing it, just uh, let me know. Yeah, <laughs> no, um, I don't know. Um, I've already read the rules, too. I'm, They're I'm, super I'm easy. I'm just really interested in playing that game, that's all. Um, I, I was curious about it because the box is huge, and uh, I guess the map that comes in it is in two pieces or something, I think, and you can flip them for different configurations. But I was just kind of interested because I... I think Friedman Freeze's games are very interesting. Um, they're not always like good, I think, but they're <laughs> always interesting concepts. So I think the concept of you being picked up and delivered and you activating like the animals is, is cool in that game. Um, also, I'm just kind of curious what a racing pick up and deliver looks like because that's what it is, is you're trying to just like race around like five or six objectives, if I remember correctly, around the map by just utilizing different animals and they like fling you or fly you over things or they take you over water or bridges or whatever. So just kind of a, he, he comes up with cool concepts at least. I don't know if it's going to be good, but I think it's just fascinating concepts. And the box was just really interesting uh, looking. Uh, as far as your uh, uh, war game, it looks really serious actually. So I'm curious what you think about that kind of game because it's like legit hardcore chit pool no art, just a map with some chits with numbers, like legit board game, uh, war game. So that's yeah, why tables, I got it. Yeah, tables, and yeah, we'll see how long it takes me to get to the table. But um, but fast loss. Yeah, you're right. It's um, so there you have like nine leaves, uh, that you're trying to eat or collect or whatever. And actually, it gets uh, the more leaves you get, the worse actions you get. Because yeah, you're covering you slow on your board. down because I think you can hold fewer cards or something, and yeah. like it gets more difficult, which is kind of a catch-up mechanic because you right. don't want people that are doing well to keep doing right, well. Right, right, so, right. Yeah, um, yeah, and then there's there's nine leaves on the board, but you only have to collect eight, actually seven, because you eat one right at the beginning of the game. Um, yeah. Anyway, I read the rules for it too, and it seemed uh, it seems like really simple, but um, interesting. My exact thoughts about Freedom and Freeze is that. I feel like he takes old concepts and just is trying to innovate them. Like I wonder, and this this is going to sound like a diss to him, but it's not. I wonder if he even plays any modern board games, because <laughs> all of his <laughs> all of his games seem, you know, like he seems still back in time, kind of old school, like mid two yeah. thousands or something. Right, yeah. right, right. And uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, I I kind of miss those games. And so it's kind of nice that there's still a designer out there. I guess Uwe Rosenberg is, 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 is that way in a bit too. But he's kind of moving to more different games. I don't know. But Freedom and Freeze is kind of like, I, I appreciate him. And I like his, uh, I just like his whole persona. He's kind of a, a kooky German dude, you know green hair green yeah. boxes i was gonna say his games feel very german in some ways so yeah yeah they're definitely like german style games um and the last one i'm looking forward to which is on my shelf and i'm painting the figures right now so it might take a little bit of time to get to the table but i'm most excited about this and it's from cge and it's sanctum sanctum is cge's version of a dungeon crawl and it's pretty obvious that they are um kind of copying diablo 
the video game, which I've never played, but the covers look very similar. I was reluctant to buy this game for a while until I looked into some more gameplay of it. And because it's like one, like, um, like adrenaline, like adrenaline looks like this, like shoot 'em up game, but at its, at its core underneath its skin is really like a pickup and deliver area majority style game. Um, this one is the same thing, like where you have this theme as its skin, but then when you look beneath it, you go, wow, there's a really cool Euro game under, uh, underneath that. And, uh, looking into the game, it's, it's like this like dungeon crawl theme right where your your figures are moving on these things and you're picking up monsters to fight you're rolling dice and kind of allocating dice to these monsters but there's a lot of mitigation to the dice you can move uh certain little um they're like these little clear uh round bits that you move from your pool onto different parts of your body on your player board that are going to represent like armor and uh, weapons and whatnot and you could upgrade uh to get more equipment on you so where you can move these things and and mess with the dice and make the dice work in your favor uh this game looks really cool actually and i'm i'm super stoked it looks like the the look of it is really nice uh it comes with like some miniatures and the the art on the cards the monsters the the boards all look really cool and i feel like it's going to be this very like thematic euro game so i'm really stoked about that that's sanctum it's weird that you mentioned adrenaline did you know it's the same guy is that why you mentioned adrenaline i was just curious i didn't i designer yeah i didn't realize it. that's amazing that makes a lot of sense uh no it's just because that's i was comparing it to cge a different game that that, that, that has yeah. the similar thing of like the theme actually comes through but beneath it is actual a good kind of strategy game no that's crazy that's really cool actually if he was able to do that because yeah it's the exact same designer it's only two games his design is adrenaline and sanctum uh, and goblin zinc i guess which i don't know uh it looks very statsy to me actually which for me it's kind of i don't enjoy um fancy games with a lot of like stats and modification like worrying about stats but i'll give it a try if you bring it sometimes maybe yeah Looks yeah cool, though the art is the art is really good yeah it is if you look into gameplay you'll i think i think you'd be into it not i think you'll be into it how you're into like i don't think you'll take it too serious like adrenaline yeah when you say dungeon crawl i think it's more like you'll move along a line and right you just meet monsters that's what it looks like you don't uh when i hear dungeon crawl i imagine like rooms and fighting things in rooms this one looks like a line and you're just fighting monsters it's a line. linear line to get to the big boss and yep. you're leapfrogging over other people so it's not even like worker placement um you're just moving along and picking up monsters like that's all you're doing yeah yeah no it looks interesting it's it's interesting yeah interesting concept cool uh, uh yeah that's all the games i want to talk about that i'm looking forward to so we're on to our topic which is two-player games what's a two-player game no i'm just kidding that's actually really <laughs> <laughs> really obvious uh it reminds me of when we played gloomhaven someone kept asking what does immobilize do and someone's <laughs> answer was well it stops people from moving so yeah yeah <laughs> what does immobilize do That's <laughs> uh it makes people not move <laughs> it immobilizes them 
So we want There's... to talk about some two-player games because uh, during these times, I think a lot of us are playing two-player games, myself included. I think Justine as well. Um, and yeah. probably Christo. Yeah, I've played some actually, yeah. And and I don't think this is limited. This topic is limited to, to two-player only games. Um, and I think yeah. we could get into that eventually too, but um, let's let's name some noteworthy two-player games. Like I, I'm thinking games that are really popular, like Lost Cities, Japor or Japar, and like abstract games mm-hmm. like Yinch. There's a lot of oh Twilight Struggle. I'd yeah, say seven, seven Wonders Duel for me is a quite oh, for sure. two-player game. Maybe patchwork as well. I think it's really popular and good for how simple it is. I I I like patchwork a lot. Here's the thing about two player games is like um, I think they're perfectly fine. I don't ever dread them except if I'm going to a meetup and it's just one other person. And even if that one other person is somebody I enjoy playing with, I I like I wouldn't personally drive to a board game store to play two player games only. Unless it was something that was planned, like, you know, let's play Twilight Struggle for some reason. Um, or like Star Wars Rebellion, you know. But do you guys feel the same way? Definitely. Um, I see what you mean. I actually do like to play games a lot. Uh, they have a different feel, and that's why the, the why I think it feels that way. I think uh, what the three, third and fourth person brings is like... Um, Kind of in a two-player game, it's like a zero-sum game, basically. So you like anything you take away from the other person, uh, even if it brings you down. If it's like bringing the other person down more, it's worth doing. In a three- or four-player game, if if two people fight, the third one usually wins because like two people are taking them each other down, and the third person is not. So uh, it just encourages like more positive interactions. I think when you have a three- or four-player game, so I think that's the feeling of why two-player games are sometimes dreaded. Is like it feels like you're like bashing each other a lot more because it's worth it in a two-player game. Um, maybe that's why. But I actually don't mind really two-player games. I would go somewhere to play two-player games just fine. Um, I'm kind of weird that way, though, maybe, because they are different, yeah. yeah. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead as far as, like, topics and what you wanted to talk about, but, that, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. I think for me, especially since, like, I live with a board game player, like, I definitely wouldn't go anywhere else to play board games um, for two, just because why would I when I can stay home and you know, pick my own music and not have to worry about that stuff. Maybe, maybe that's what it is for me too. Cause I could always play with my wife. Uh, my cousin-in-law has been coming over a lot and we've been playing two player games and I have an uncle-in-law too, that I play two player games with as well. So I think I have the option to stay home like you, Justine, and just play two player games at home. Uh, so it, it does feel pointless to drive down somewhere to play two player games. However, uh, um, there might be some players that you want to play with. Yeah. The only game I could think of that I would actually drive somewhere to play, even with Matt, is like Twilight Struggle we were talking about. Matt and I love that game. It's probably one of our favorite two-player games, but it's not cat-friendly or cat-approved. <laughs> they yeah. will destroy your game. Yeah, let's and- talk about that. Like, what would be... 
um, a game that you would drive down to play. For me, it would be one of those bigger two-player games that I haven't gotten the chance to play. Like, I am interested in Star Wars Rebellion, and I would drive down to play Star Wars Rebellion with... Uh, with with one other person it's a four it could go up to four players but everybody that's ever played that game is is saying that it's a two-player only game mm-hmm. uh for me actually i enjoy like shorter games as well and the big a really big category actually for two-player games is abstracts which most abstracts are two-player only um, or two-player recommended, and three and four is like weird because you it introduces like randomness and chaos, which you usually don't want in abstract games most of the time. Some some are designed for three or four, just fine, but uh, usually like most abstracts I, I think are two. I'm fine with really like I say going anywhere. Maybe I'm the odd one out uh, to play even like uh, a bunch of shorter games. I enjoy that. Um, if there's a larger game I'd go somewhere to play or like particularly want to play a two-player, it's probably like Strongholds, uh, second edition from uh, whatever his name is, Polish guy, uh, yeah, anyway, 51st State guy, whatever. Uh, Stronghold is kind of two-player only, that doesn't even have a variant to play more than two, kind of a defense game. One person is attacking with cubes, the other person is defending with worker placement. Yeah, I had a, this uh, interesting situation before all this happened where I would go down an hour early before our meetup and play two-player only games um, like um, Uncharted. No, not Uncharted. That's a video game. Undaunted. Undaunted, Normandy, oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Memoir 44. So I was going down and meeting uh, one other person and playing two-player games before the meetup. And I thought that worked really well. Um, yeah, so what, so I'm curious, what is something you look for in a two player game that would like, cause for me, I'm more reluctant to buy a two player only game just because I feel like it might not get played as much or at all. So I'm curious, what would make you guys, what makes you guys want to buy a two player game? Hmm. Interesting question, actually. Uh, maybe it goes with what I grew up with to some degree, or just, I don't know. I just think uh, like something that maybe works well only with two. Um, I don't know. Uh, what comes to mind is I think take that mechanics actually are more excusable in two player games. I kind of don't have too much tolerance for like heavy take that mechanics in higher player count games because it just kind of cheapens the game and basically it's kind of like whoever gets attacked the most loses or like if people don't like you, you're not going to win kind of a thing because of just like people piling on other people. But when it's a two-player game, I think take that mechanics are okay, magically. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of a, a case in point there is I really like Maharaja, I think it's called. Is it Maharaja? The one where um, you're trying to connect to these treasures. Uh, let me see. Sorry, it's kind of weird. Is it weird. Tigris and Euphrates? 
Ah, no, it's not Maharaja. Gosh, I can't remember. I'll look it up, but it's a—it's uh, only a two-player game, and you kind of have a hand of cards, and you're trying to connect to treasures, and it's really heavy. Take that. Basically, there's a lot of cards that like destroy. You roll these dice. Uh, Nag Nagaraja. Nagaraja. Oh, like the, Nagaraja. the like stick dice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of take that. There's a lot of like, cool. I can drop this tile on your board, which just like blocks a bunch of paths and stuff. And obviously, you can like do the do it back to the other person. But I think that style of game of like heavy take that is a way more interesting and way more fascinating with two players than more players because. Uh, like I say, if it was like a three or four player game, basically whoever gets piled on the most is going to lose for sure. And it's kind of maybe popularity <laughs> contest to some degree. Um, what was the original question? Gosh, I went off a tangent. <laughs> well, I, well I I'd like to remember. say I, I agree with you with um, take that. It doesn't feel as personal, you know, because it's like yeah. you're the only other person I could do this to. And yes, that, that's what's happening. Uh, the original question was uh, what what types of two player games makes you like want to buy one? Oh, so I think, yeah, uh, games with take that mechanics, which look interesting, I think kind of interest me. Also, just kind of just unique themes, which I feel like can only be pulled off in two player or maybe work better in two player. Uh, like um, maybe twilight struggle even though twilight struggle is um implemented okay and like the expanse i guess to some degree um usually like attack defense siege games are good to player um i don't know just something that's unique um kind of mandala actually comes to mind sim wonders duel the, the drafting pyramid i don't think it could work as well with more players i think it's like really works well with two players so there's just some mechanics i think which um kind of just work better with two for some reason also there's an entire genre of games i feel where there's like three things you're fighting in in between you uh kind of like a tug of war kind of a game mm-hmm. i don't think you can really have a tug of war game with more players actually that's an interesting idea i don't know i haven't thought about kind of like maybe a four-dimensional tug of war on like a square so you're not just pulling towards you and someone else but there's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, several yeah. dimensions to be interesting to pulling things around from the middle that's that's a very interesting idea which hasn't been maybe done but there's a whole genre of games of like uh, capers that way um we played ryan lockett's gosh i can't um there's another game that ryan lockett has with like three things in the middle um there's almond as well i don't know if anyone remembers almond um someone in our group had it and i think only me and someone else played it another game where you fight over three things in the middle basically kind of devolves to kind of putting cards on your side to pull that thing towards you and whoever gets two out of three usually wins kind of a deal so kind of a timing game but uh those things i think were particular work particularly well with two players and probably would not work as well with more players or be that interesting i think tug of war mechanics are really good for two also good abstracts like good abstracts i like i like nice abstracts and usually abstracts are two or work best with two um i think for me Matt and I, when we first started playing board games, we were kind of the only people that played. So we were sort of in, I guess, the opposite position of buying games. Every game we played had to only play two, or not only, Mm -hmm. but had to play two. Um, 
we just recently started buying, I think like in the last couple of months, games that didn't play two, just because we now have a group. Um, so I actually really like playing two-player games, kind of for the same reasons Haristo said, is it does become a zero-sum game. I am a little bit better with Take That with a two-player game. Um, but yeah, I I think I like to buy two-player games also because they tend to be, aside from like Twilight Struggle, a lot more, a lot uh, faster, kind of simpler. So they are like a really easy game to put up and take down. Yeah, for me, I would say it's like theme first. Like it's, if there's a theme and it's a two-player game only that I really enjoy, I'm more likely to buy it because I only have to convince one person to play it, you know? And it might be a bad game and I might kind of know that, but I like the theme so much. War of the Worlds uh, comes to mind. Like I really like that theme. Looking into it looked pretty bland, but I was like, gosh, I can't, I can't pass up on this theme. And it ended up being not a great experience, but it, it all I had to do was convince my wife to play it and uh, she didn't enjoy it. But that wasn't like this. I didn't let down like, you know, three to four other people while playing these this this game. So it's like really theme that will draw me in like Watergate looks really interesting to me. And that's why I bought it. And um, I would say that there is a lot of multiplayer games that I think only work as two. And it goes the other way too, where it'll say two to four, but really you should never play the game two players. Um, For instance, like Planet Defenders, which is really just kind of an abstract game. You're trying to like collect robots and have set collection and whatnot. But um, to Hristo's point with Seven Wonders is there's, I think, less planning that you can do if those games are multiplayer. You know, so... Um, with Seven Wonders, I we're we're playing this uh, game of chicken. Who neither one of us want to reveal a card because it could be really good for the other p- player. And adding another player in there would just kind of wreck that feeling. Also, with something like Planet Defenders, where it's kind of chaos. What's happening if there's three or four playing? But two, you could have um, a better chance of planning you know, depending on what the other player's doing. But um, with some of these games that say they play two to four, but work better at two, you take your turn and now you start to plan, but, you know, the player next to you messes it up and then that other player messes it up then the next player messes it up. Now it's your turn and you have to think. So like Justine was saying, it's shorter amount of thinking time as well because you could actually plan from turn to turn rather than like this kind of chaos happening in a multiple player game. (sighs) Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I feel like if you think a game has too much chaos, maybe try it at the lower player count. And yeah, I completely agree. I think Planet Defenders just feels way better with two than uh, four. Three yeah. is maybe just barely acceptable. Four is just complete chaos. And it not only just makes the game chaotic and annoying, but it also just increases the game time exponentially because unlike a two-player game where you can plan, like it just slows down the game because everyone has to like start over, basically, when it's their turn because 
everything that they were planning has been screwed now. So they're just like starting from like square one as opposed to kind of having some kind of a plan which may or may not work depending on the other person doing stuff. Yeah. Matt and I discovered, um, I think in an earlier podcast, we talked about Masters of Renaissance, the Lorenzo. Yes. Yeah, that came to mind as well. Yep. And yeah, when we played it four player, I think all of us kind of agreed that it was way too chaosy and random and weird because you could Mm -hmm. never predict what was coming and what was going to happen. And so you kind of had to make your turn over again or just kind of hope. Um, But when it turned in, when we played it just two player, it turned way super chessy because you were looking at like what you had and what you thought the other player had and what you were trying to avoid them getting. So that ended up being really fun. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I feel like drafting games like Azul as well, like you're, uh, we had some massive arguments about who should be blocking who, which was kind of hilarious. But I mean, if you block just the next person, you're relying on everyone else kind of thinking the same way. And if they're not, then you're just like hurting yourself. Like there's these like weird, like collective action problems with higher than two players in a two-player game you can definitely like denial draft or just play like a drafting game against the other person because you're not like taking each other down around the table it's like it's the zero-sum game thing again where you're not fighting against the person to your left and maybe he's not and then like whoever's the person that cross from you wins kind of a thing so yeah, yeah i think uh some games definitely benefit from two where there's like negative interactions i think or potential for negative interactions and i think um it's not just like the chaosy games it can also be the games where you have to think a lot this week matt and i had a chance to play pipeline two player for the first time and going into it i was terrified because i think in our group pipeline has uh reputation as being really long and really thinky and really slow and it's kind of one of those AP inducing games that you just kind of let be AP inducing because like one mistake is going to really derail you Mm -hmm. but what I realized playing pipeline two player is I think the length comes from four players with Matt and I it was snappy I mean part of it was we knew the game and knew the pitfalls and knew what to avoid and what to go for but it was super duper snappy i mean i think we got done with it in like an hour and a half um and i think that's because in a game like pipeline once you pick a path to go on you're kind of corralled down that path you have to go down that path so turn to turn there's not a whole lot of thinking But when you have four people, you're all kind of asynchronous of when you have to make those decisions of what path you're going down. So I might be sitting there and thinking for a while, deciding, do I want to go get pipes and go down this way? Or do I want to go get contracts and go down this way? And I have to think, and you have to, because there's just no way to avoid it. And if you make the wrong choice, you're screwed and you're going to have a bad game. And then, but at the same time, like Christo might be to the point where he knows what he's doing and he can just snap take his turn. With Matt and I, since there were fewer players, there was less asynchrony about when we had to slow down and actually think and when we were able to just snap take our turn. So it ended up being a way fast experience. Still just as difficult. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. Also, if you have to teach a game, I think it's a lot easier to teach one other player, right, than three other players, because mm-hmm. um, you don't, you, you know, one player might not be paying attention. Whereas uh, I'm the type of teacher where if I notice you're not paying attention, I ask you, "Did you catch that? Did you hear that?" Um, <laughs> which might sound kind of rude, but I really don't like repeating myself or being in the middle of a game and going what you can do that i didn't hear that you didn't tell me that well you didn't hear me so um it's a lot easier to 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 focus um teaching to just one other player right rather than a group of players definitely yeah it's easier to watch what the other person is doing as well which is very unfortunate when your first teaching game is like right. you're kind of playing your game but you're also watching what other people are doing kind of to see if they're like making ridiculous mistakes yeah or whatever. yeah and if it's a four or five player game you have to watch three or four other people yeah. and that's just like not gonna be fun whatsoever yeah, yeah. Yep. what do you guys think about two-player variants like so when a board game is like three to four players or three to five players or even two to four with a variant. Do you think these work yeah. out better? Um, I was thinking about that. There, it, it really depends on the board game a lot. Uh, some games, I think the two player variants, usually it involves some kind of an AI or dummies or whatever, which works well. Uh, sometimes it just doesn't work well. Um, I think usually some games just require three players where there needs to be like um, kind of maybe people fighting for like majorities. Usually those type of games are not a success for two players because you kind of do want the gang up mechanic of two people going against a leader in majorities type games because in a two player game, if it's a majority type game and you just win the first majority you're probably going to continue winning unless there's some kind of mitigating mechanic i guess to catch you up so even with a variant i think those uh, generally majorities rare control type games don't work so successfully with two in my opinion but there are really successful dummy player games like uh, uh, tolkien comes to mind tolkien is yeah just as good with two as with four really uh, and you have these dummies walking around the wheels which is just fine they just represent just random and it kind of becomes part of the planning but it just kind of fixes up the game by propping you up higher than uh, what it, what you would have been so it just really just depends on the game but that's kind of a general theme that I've noticed is when it's some kind of a majorities involved area control or some kind of yeah that type of game usually it's less successful with the lower player count even if it has some kind of a variant yeah I I like two player variants a lot of the time sometimes I don't um, just because again that was how I started playing board games was with two player variants yeah, I find that um, if if the box is, tells me that it has a two-player variant rather than just two to four on the box, I'm actually like less hesitant to try it with two because I feel like if they have a two-player variant, that means that they focused on a two-player game rather than there is some games that come to mind. Uh, gosh, that uh, that Ryan Lockett game, uh, Klondike Rush, doesn't have a two-player variant you know, says two to five players and really doesn't work at two at all. And it doesn't do anything to try to fix it. Whereas um, something like uh, 
like Christo was saying, like dummy players like uh, Carthago, where it has dummy players in a two-player variant or just like changes things significantly or something like, and I don't really like this game very much. I know a lot of people do small world where it comes with different boards for different player counts. And that's going to work for like a dudes on a map style game where you have to have uh, the area shrunken in order to play two players. And so I think a two player variant to me says that they took a little bit more time to make the two player game more enjoyable. That doesn't always mean that it it's successful, but to me, it's kind of a, a um, it, it it makes me think that it 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 has a better possibility of working. Uh yeah, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, no, I I think if the box doesn't say two, I actually am less excited to try it because I feel like maybe the two player game was an afterthought and experimental and like didn't quite work out and. If the box doesn't say it, usually it's, in my opinion, not so good. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. I agree with that. If it's like three to five and it has a two-player variant, it might not work well. I think what I'm uh, more mostly leaning on is like it says two to four, but in the rule book it has a separate separate instructions for two-player games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be good or bad. It depends. I was gonna say auctioning games are another uh situation where you kind of want three at least definitely because i think auctioning games most of the time there's one auction game which uh supposedly works well with two grog island which i haven't played i just read some reviews like way back in the day that there's something unique about how auctions are done where it works okay with two um i think also like rado was mentioning um some kind of mechanic. Gosh, I can't remember how, but basically to improve um, two-player auctioning, the two-player auctioning experience. Oh, yeah, I think the mechanic is like the lower person receives the money bid by the high, the other person or something like that. Uh, hmm. Basically kind of like a back and forth. Um, I don't know, but auctioning games usually are a disaster with uh, two players, which is what Con- Klondike crushes is an auction game. So you want like more, <laughs> I think, uh, even, even though it says two on the box, I think it's bad. Yeah. And I, I think they just need to stop pl- putting uh, two players. Raccoon, Tycoon, same thing. I think yep. it probably does two technically, practically. I don't think so. <laughs> probably four minimum for that game, I would say. Yeah, and you know, uh, you mentioned Rado. I would say if if you are looking for games that work at two, um, I think he's your best choice. Um, you know, he'll walk uh, you through 100%. the games, and then he'll give his most of the games that he's even that he even puts on his uh, his his YouTube channel is first of all going to work as a two player game in his opinion, um, and he usually doesn't even run through or review games that don't work it well with two so yeah i remember actually i think he was talking about scoville uh when he was talking about that auctioning variant because i think scoville is another auction game where you want more players generally he had some suggestions which i think were really good how to improve the two-player game but yeah he has a lot of good suggestions on like how to kind of fix two-player games usually uh because that's all he plays and Justine, you and Matt do this, right? You'll you'll come up with your yeah. own two player variants. Do do you have some yeah. noteworthy ones? Um, I mean, we've talked about our Terra Mystica one before. Um, 
we actually, this one we didn't come up with, but Matt found it on the BGG forums for Gaia Project. People suggested playing a two-player game, but adding in the Atama that you would for like a single-player game. So we tried that this week, and that ended up being a bad idea. Don't do it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it just added a whole chory mess to the game and like complete randomness. You can't quite predict what the Atama is going to do, so it just does random stuff. And both games, it just ended up feeding Matt a whole ton of power. <laughs> nice. I'm so mad. I don't agree with it. Um, but yeah, like our Terra Mystica two-player variant is works really well. We kind of do the same thing with Dominant Species the like three times we've played it, um, where you have two species each, and the lowest score of the two is the one you count. Oh, yeah. Um, just so there's more stuff going on. And it actually ends up being really fun. Dominant Species, that variant, it'll take you six hours to play. So I wouldn't recommend it unless you plan on spending a long time. But that's kind of our go-to is trying to do, especially with variable player powers, two, two players for each person. So there's some two-player games that we just... Um don't have the right to talk about i guess because we it's out of our wheelhouse like there's tabletop miniature games which i dabble in just one of them um and i've talked enough about that on previous shows collectible card games which we don't really play like magic the gathering and um and war games which we kind of touch base on a little bit too earlier but what about co-op games how do you guys feel about co-op games as, as two players I think actually my initial reaction is two players is pretty awesome with co-op games because um, they're usually kind of, yeah, I, I, there's different experiences I guess you can have with co-op games depending on how they're designed. But I think generally um, you should kind of play them with as few people as possible so the discussion is more focused, I think, but not mm -hmm. solo. So I think the next like lowest is two, and I think that's a really good player count for most co-op games, I should say. There's some which are designed to where they work well with more people, but I think generally co-op games, the more you increase people, um, I'm talking about the ones where you have common goal, usually, uh, the more it just kind of becomes a bloat of kind of discussion and sometimes it's obvious what you should do and it's like, oh, I hope you guys are okay with that. But then someone suggests something different and it's just like, uh, I don't know, just kind of, it, it, it makes you make faster decisions if you have fewer people, I think. So maybe I think I like it. However, with something like Magic Maze, I think uh, four, five, six is just fine. Um, works better with more than with two. Um, also, something like Spirit Island, you probably want like three or four. I think it makes the game more fun in so many ways, uh, just kind of more interactions between people. So it completely depends on what the style of co-op game is. Um, something like Forbidden Desert or some like the simpler games where you have a common goal, I think it works really well with two. Pandemic maybe as well. I think Justine has a lot of Pandemic experience. Yeah, um, I would say I'm in agreement with you. I like I like playing co-op games for the most part. You've named a couple that uh, definitely warrants, I think, higher player counts. But for the most part, I think that I like co-op games better. Co-op uh, co games better two-player. 
Because the thing I don't like about co-op games is so much discussion and yeah. sometimes arguments and debates. Uh, that's sometimes that's why people like co-op games is because they like the discussion. But for me, I just want kind of want to get to the game, get inside the game. Yes. And I feel that two players is much better with discussing. You know, maybe you don't have an opinion about this thing, so you don't have to sit and watch two players argue about it. You could just go with what the other player wants to do and vice versa. Yeah. I think it also cuts down on quarterbacking too. Oh, definitely. Not, yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, I've, I've played a couple of co-op games recently, which is two player. Like we played stop thief, which is two. And then we played it again with three. And I, I much, we actually won the first time we played it two player co-op. And then when we added in another player, we played it two times in a row and lost. I don't know if that's saying something, <laughs> but it felt like it definitely felt like it had a lot to do with um, with adding in another player. Yeah, I feel like sometimes when you have more discussion, there's also more confusion and things are missed. And I feel like if you just keep it simple and like focus on the game and make fast, snappier decisions, it's usually the right decision. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, you might have that moment of like, all right, all right, let's just do that. And that's not the, the thing you want to do. You're just tired of talking about it. Yeah. All right. So that was our topic on two player games. So up next is our top three family weight games. All right, so way back in episode three, we did a top three called Games We Enjoy with Casual Gamers. Um, I should note that this is a different list because games that I like playing with casual players is actually next step games. Because if they're casual gamers, they've mm -hmm. played some gateway games, and now I'm trying to move them up a step. Now, with my list here, I thought of not just my family, because it might be a very similar list to what I made in that episode. I'm thinking of just family in general. So I'm thinking of you could play these games with kids and with adults in a family-type setting. Not too hard. However, enough game in there for you or me in this example yeah to me there's a lot of overlap actually i can't remember what my casual list is but i wouldn't be surprised if like maybe two of my games are on there i don't know um to me it's kind of a similar feeling yeah there's the family games i think i'm actually more okay with uh maybe some take that with family games because i guess that's what you do with family is like <laughs> take that mechanics and you laugh at each other i don't know um in arguments no just kidding um i don't know um it's it's a very similar list i think the distinction is very faint if any um maybe family games need to be more okay for kids as well that's i guess maybe something slightly different i don't think you I... have to worry about crossovers risto because you were just doing kickstarters back then <laughs> no, maybe not i don't know okay um I think of family games as like low on rules, easier strategy wise, kind of like you were saying, games you can play with the whole family, including kids, um, but still have enough gameplay there that it's fun to play for us. Yeah. And yeah, I think you, yeah. Yeah, I went, I went really simple rules because um, I, 
as a gamer, you think that a game is simple and then try teaching it to somebody that doesn't play designer games and they're like, what is happening? And, uh-huh. it, and you find yourself like really frustrated, which um, is your own fault because you shouldn't, get, you shouldn't get frustrated with somebody that's never played games that you're trying to explain uh, these modern designer games to. But yeah, that's, uh, that's something that I definitely included is like really simple rules. Yeah, the way I made my list was kind of interesting because I found this list on BG, which I can't couldn't find a way to actually get there through the site. I found it with Google with family level games, and uh, I feel like the distinction, the categorization of family games is so broad that like I was scrolling down and 500 games in, there were still kind of decent games on the list. So just I just had like a long list to choose from. But to Brandon's point, I think I probably chose things that are like easier on rules and less cube pushing kind of stuff which is harder to explain kind of more intuitive fun themes um is what i would say i I chose but there was a lot of choice um probably a lot of honorable mentions at the end yeah all right well let's get into it number three um, so my number three is Lanterns. Um, this is a tile laying game. The story is that you're trying to put lanterns on a lake in a festival to impress the emperor. Um, and it's kind of cool. I like that it keeps everyone kind of involved in watching what's going on because to place the tile, um, you can place it however you want, but there's bonuses you get if you match the colors. Also, what's going to happen is once you place the tile, every person is going to get a card depending on the color that's facing them. So you also are kind of watching to see what other people have to try and keep them from getting sets. Um, You then turn these cards in to get points um, based on if you have one of each color. I can't remember all of them right now, but different sets give you different amounts of points um there's there's a lot to think about is what you're placing and where and how and what you're giving other people but the rules itself are so simple that you can teach it to just about anybody and i mean like with little kids like i don't know who are just starting out they might need some help with strategy and making sure they're not giving away too much but i think it's a really good family game yep i really like lanterns actually uh really fun to play really pleasant a very kind of inoffensive theme as usually uh, these kind of games go the only thing is pretty much almost every game i've played it's so balanced that the scores are like 29 30 31 or something at mm-hmm. the end so i feel like it's just like pleasant to play but yeah um kind of comes down to like the slight luck that happens here and there um yeah and it it's very obvious that they wanted to focus on like keeping everyone really close so no one feels left out you know as far as like scoring goes yeah and there's a lot of yep. kind of counterbalancing mechanics in that game i actually was really curious to play the expansion i almost played it um at this board game store and this thing happened and i guess i'll play it someday um the expansion adds some interesting new mechanics which maybe is going to make the game more interesting but we'll see yeah i think this is a great one to put on the list justine because it is really easy to play and i think it will show non-gamers like 
just how interesting a game could be without overwhelming him. Yeah. All right. Uh, my third place is Colt Express. Um, Colt Express is a game, a programming game, really, a lightweight programming game. I should emphasize lightweight. Um, you are in a train heist. I think Brandon's talked about this game before somewhere. I remember him talking about it recently. But in short, you are bandits and you're trying to steal treasure uh, from the train i guess there's a sheriff which moves inside the train trying to shoot you and just kind of pushes people around um you there's a really light kind of deck building element really not deck building like deck usage elements you cycle through a deck constantly to do your actions and you program actions and then you kind of play them out um after you've programmed them kind of like a movie um there's kind of four chapters so to speak in the game and every chapter is like kind of a so, so to speak movie which is like four or five turns or something depending on these cards that you pull out and what happens uh usually very predictable if you watch what people are doing it's actually I found pretty easy to figure out what's happening. The only thing that throws a wrench in the, in the system is there's a character which puts a card face down so you don't know what they're doing. There's also these tunnels where you don't know what people are doing because they're putting cards face down. So that really introduces the inflection points in the game where you lose track of what people are doing. So you end up like doing nonsensical or just funny things like trying to steal things that are not there, getting shot by the sheriff because like three people moved him or something and just like hilarious moments. But I think there's definitely some comedy in the game. Uh, the theme comes across really well, I feel. Like it, you really feel like you're like uh, in a Western movie and the things that happen are very thematic. Uh, pretty strong theme. Um, the game is kind of punch each other and uh, if you focus on punching people too much maybe they won't win so it that, that has like a king of the hill type of mechanic where um you should be careful who you're attacking because maybe someone else is leading uh it has some kind of a hidden mechanic of who has see so you don't know exact scores most of the time uh but generally really fun um kind of not so easy to explain i would say i think i've had some confused people that that, that have tried to play this game before. Um, after one kind of chapter, so to speak, I think it kind of clicks together. So at first it's a little bit confusing for some people because they haven't played maybe a board game or even a programming game before. or like. But I think in a family setting it, it would be just really good. Uh, it actually has two expansions, which I need to play. Um, I'm really kind of excited to play it. I just haven't for some reason had the chance to pull out this game it's kind of a commitment to play this game because it's this like 3d train setup and it's usually not like a pull out and play kind of a game i kind of have to like get some enthusiasm for it but i think it's a really good game um definitely want to play the expansions pretty soon actually hopefully i'll find some people to play with and that's cult express yeah i talked about this uh, very recently last episode Party games. Yeah, yeah um, I remember. Yeah. yeah, I can. Uh, I could definitely concur with it being good for families because the last time I played this game was at a family gathering with mostly people that have never played these styles of, of games before, and a lot of them were were kids, like uh, like uh, like ten to fourteen, 
and it worked really well. They all seemed to understand it, at least by the by the middle of the game, everybody got it yes. and was having a blast it, with it. I think it takes like a couple of chapters like to kind of see how it plays. Because yeah. at first you're like, what? You're planning cards and like you play them as a movie. That's just like really weird. But then people see how it works and it clicks. And they play in reverse order, right? The cards. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or no, you uh, no, they play in the same order. You just uh, you flip the deck over, so they should be in the same order. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, it's just it's been a while. Uh, my number three is a game that uh, I would be reluctant to play unless it was a family setting, and that's why I had to make my list because this is a go-to game that I play with kids. Um, and I recently suggested it to one of my friends that was asking me about games that, that he wants to play with, like during like family night, and it's Jamaica. Jamaica feels like I feel like it's a next step up from one of those like um, mass market games. You roll dice, however, you allocate the dice to day or night, and you could play day or night cards, and it's going to give you either movement. In the card that you played, if you play a, a movement card, it's going to give you that much movement, what the die says, or you can take this much from the, the su supply. It's a racing game. You're just trying to make it to the end, um, but that's not going to be the win condition, uh, although a lot of cases it is because the further you are on the track, uh, you're going to get some points. You might even get some minus points. Um, but you're going to, you're going to, uh, acquire points during the game as well. So the person that makes it to the end doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be the winner. Um, there is some take that because you can land on the same spot as people and you roll dice to battle. Um, but again, that's going to be reminiscent to games that families have played before. So I think it's really good to transition over from these mass market style games to this type of game. And that's why it's on my list. Like I said, I'm, I would never bring this to a board game meetup, which my other ones I actually would. But I think it works so well with kids, and I've had such a good experience teaching it to kids that it made my list, and that's Jamaica. I think it's funny that you say you'd never bring it to a meetup because I remember you bringing it to the, the where demolition and uh, Justine and me and you in the game, and I can't remember who else it was, and it was just hilarious because I sped ahead like really far, and you and Justine were just like shooting each other all the time, and I was like, "What the heck is this?" And Justine's like, "I don't know about this game." <laughs> so it's just really just like I remember just the the hilarious hilarious experience we had of that game. I don't know if you guys remember that game, but I yeah, it was just funny. Yeah, and that's why I'll never bring it. <laughs> I just didn't feel like it worked with actual gamers. It was funny. It was funny. I had, yeah. Yeah, I had a good time. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, uh, the rule book is a map, and I'm very annoyed with that. There's actually a picture on our Facebook of me reading this uh -huh. big, this big map that's unfolded, and it it's not like linear. Like here's one, here's two. It's like a map, so you have to follow one, and follow the trail to two to three. Ugh. I get it. It's thematic, but. It's only good like when you pull it out for the first time. Go cool. The 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 rules is a map like a like a treasure map, and then when you have to look something up, you go. This is not as cool anymore. Yeah, not practical. Really cool idea. Right. Right. <laughs> That's it. Number two. So my number two is Splendor. Again kind of for the same reasons as um, 
lanterns. It's very simple rule set. A little bit more complex, I think, because just the different things you can take. And there is one tiny, like, unless this situation happens, which I usually don't like in games, but whatever. Um, but, I mean, in, so in Splendor, you're collecting gems to collect cards. The cards give you extra gems you can spend to collect better cards, which give you points. It's a very simple, uh, would you call it a drafting game? I don't even know. Set collection? Mm, yeah, drafting probably. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, Mark, Card River. <laughs> and I guess this is kind of one, I wouldn't actually bring it to a board game meetup. It's not one that I'd want to pull out and play all the time, um, but it's a really good family game. actually introduced it to my uh, sisters who were, kids at the time they're a little bit older now but they ended up loving it so much i gave them my copy and haven't replaced it but it's still i think it's a really good game i don't know why but this game really hits with like new people to board gaming people Heck just yeah, love it, it. I, mm-hmm. I i don't i don't really get it so much because for me it's just kind of prone to lucky situations but it's it's fine it's it's a decent game um my number two is karuba uh you might have i probably have talked about this game before because i really like it that i remember it being on some kind of top three but basically it's a kind of a almost a bingo style game where uh there's paths uh, and there's a map that you have with squares and the square is empty and you've landed on a beach I think which is like on the left side of the board if I remember correctly and there's these temples which you're trying to get which are like up and right if I remember correctly again maybe you're on the left and down so you're like trying to go through this board and you have several explorers that are trying to get to temples so someone starts pulling tiles with paths on them and it's tiling and you're build, building basically a maze for these explorers to get to the temples as fast as possible uh, when someone pulls a tile everyone pulls the same tile but the place they put them is different so um, you could put it in the same place as someone else I feel like that would make for a very boring game because you're just copying someone else but very interesting exercise in human psychology that like never happens pretty much uh, you just think you have the better idea of where the tile should go uh, relative to the other people and everyone ends up with some kind of a very different board I think by the end of the game and uh, the person who wins is, I think, uh, maybe, I think it's a race for points. Gosh, I can't remember, even remember the end game condition. Actually, I think it's everyone, the whoever, if someone gets all their expo- explorers to temples, I think is how the game ends. Uh, so it's kind of a race to get your explorers to the temples, but then the person with the most points wins. And there's like several different ways to get points. I think there's some things you can pick up along the way. There's some light set collection stuff, but I think it's really just a really kind of fun game to play that's really easy to explain. And for some reason, it just has um, just enough decisions to make it interesting for me, even though it's a very, very simple game. And I've played some other games of this kind. There was a roll and draw or something game. I don't know if it's even roll, like pull cards and draw kind of a game with connections like that. I think I enjoyed it less for some reason. I think just the art on the tiles and just how the game looks is really nice as well. 
and it's just right. I don't know how to explain it, but I really like it for some reason, even though it's very simple bingo style game. Uh, definitely good, I think, family game, and that's Karuba. Yeah, I've never played this game, but I've seen it everywhere. Yeah, it's cool. My number two is Reef. Um, Reef is a very simple uh i'm reluctant to call it abstract but it pretty much is an abstract game but it's uh you you just have this little square grid in front of you as a player board and you are either drafting a card or playing a card when you play card you get pieces and then you can score if you've met the condition of the card and what are these pieces they're like reef type pieces they're really chunky plastic um colorful uh different shapes and the cards want you to arrange these in in different arrangements um but as a bird's eye view so you can stack them as well and actually stacking them in maybe all one color might be a condition of the card really simple concept and it's one of those games that um if you're new to gaming, you could just play haphazardly, not do very well, but completely understand the game. Or you can play very strategic and um, try to do as best as possible. I actually like this game. I think it's pretty fun. It's pretty short and it's pretty light, but I, I enjoy it. So I would be happy to show um, a family member this style of game, this particular game. Uh, and and still have a good time playing it. And that's Reef. Number one. Uh, my number one was Azul. Um, I think this one, how many years ago did it win the Spiel des Jahres? Mm, 16, I think. Maybe. 16 yeah. or 17. Mm, I don't know. Oh my gosh, has it been that long? That's crazy. Um, so Azul, I feel like, is, again, one of those games that is, the rules are super simple. It's easy to explain. It's fun to play. Um, there is that little hiccup that Haristo talked about in the two-player games segment of you can kind of get into arguments over, like, whose job it is to block people. But I think with families, that doesn't happen as much. I think kind of the point of a family game is to kind of hang out and have fun and play a game <laughs> um so i find like when i play with my family we don't get into those arguments we're just kind of hanging out and having fun um and i picked the first one particularly just because it is i think the most simple once you get start getting into stained glass and um the summer pavilion the rules start to kind of ramp up in difficulty but i just really like the simple Azul formula. It works. The It's a pretty game to look at. I think people are intrigued by the tiles. Yeah, it's kind of one of those games that hits a lot of the senses. 2018 is when it won. I figured it wasn't it, that long ago. It came out in 17, yeah. I guess, so it took a year, like next year. It came out, I think, for us, right? The States, I think it came, and then it released later in... in uh, Germany, possibly. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. looking at the BGG page. Um, yeah. 
That's kind of funny. The person I was having arguments with, we talk about game theory a lot in an argumentative way. Of uh, There's a lot of discussions like, who should be blocking things? Like, how do you play your controls? Yeah. Should you be attacking the person behind you or in front of you? Like, what is the thing you should do? I don't know. Um, it's fine, though. No, Azul is a really good game. I really like um, Azul. I think it works well, reasonably, as a casual game. And maybe if you want to play it more seriously, it's better to play it as a two-player game. I think the mm-hmm. three- or four-player game is kind of more just ridiculous as far as chaos and yeah maybe someone just set someone up like two times in a row and that's enough for them to win the game kind of a thing but whatever it's an easy enough game and yeah i, I like uh, personally staying glass of Sintra probably the most but as far as rules go yeah i think the first one is easier to understand for sure mm-hmm. uh my number one is magic maze i've probably talked about this game previously because also i really like it i think i i don't know if we've done real times game games actually that's an interesting topic but it's a real-time game where um you in real time move people along a maze and that sounds extremely boring but the game is just really cool because you're responsible for not a person but the direction so you're trying to kind of multitask in your brain and your brain is hilariously bad at multitasking i guess because you're trying to watch four different things and trying to do the correct decision for four different things and even though it sounds simple you're just responsible for basically moving them like north or something along this grid it leads to some really funny situations where someone is just like not doing their job and everyone's like okay and you can't talk that's the 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 other funny thing about the game is just can't talk so um i think this one is like super intuitive to explain uh really easy to pick up um kind of it feels good when you accomplish when you win because you feel like you've done something together. It has really kind of strong like teamwork kind of feeling to the game, which really is fun for me, I think. Um, I think it would work well with families uh, as well. I think it's, like I say, rules are very easy. Uh, Maybe the best real-time game as well uh, that I can think of. Um, Just really cool. So that's Magic Maze. I like the expansion as well. I feel like, actually, that's a good point. Uh, The more you ramp up the difficulty, the more kind of gamey it gets. Uh, But I think that kind of comes naturally as you get better at the introductory kind of levels of the game, is you kind of want something more, because it kind of actually becomes easy once you get used to um, your brain multitasking for four different people. So you kind of want the next level challenge, and I think that just kind of ramps up. So the expansion is just like more difficulty, I think. So if you're, if you've had, if uh, just maybe kind of different difficulty as well. So if you feel like you're the master of the base game, that's when you get the expansion. But that kind of, yeah. So Magic Maze, number one. Yeah, I feel like this is a perfect game mm-hmm. for this list because, um, what I notice about family members that don't play a lot of games when they find a game that they like or like, you know, they just discover like, oh my gosh, there's more to games than just like rolling dice and having no choices. I feel that they want to play that game over and over and over again. And this is a great one for it because like you were saying, it ramps, ramps up the difficulty and it doesn't feel the same. So if you're the person introducing the game to to family members that want to play the game multiple times, uh, this doesn't get stale. So I think it's, that's why it's a great choice. My number one is Horrified. Um, Horrified 
takes the theme, the IP of universal um, horror monsters, and they put it in a board game. Looks like an older style board game. Um, actually, Matt and I were talking about it after we, I introduced it to him, and, and we were just talking about how it looks like those games from when we were kids that we would buy in the hopes that it would be good and it would be bad. Um, <laughs> this this is um, a good game. It's it's a co-op game, and it's it's pretty simple, but you can change the gameplay with the different monsters you put in and you could put in two monsters you could put in four i think we put in like four and it was like really hard so you can up the difficulty level there and each monster is going to work a little bit differently um so that adds a lot of cool play also it's really easy to teach i played it with um a casual gamer and somebody that almost never plays or never plays these style of games only plays stuff like monopoly in life um it was my two best men for my wedding they came out and to visit and it was great we sat down we played and it was also one that we can just like have some crosstalk some some chatter we're catching up while we're doing these things we lost horribly um and i didn't care it was still fun also a great game to like bust out during halloween time which makes me think if you're hanging out with family um during october or on halloween it's kind of the perfect game to to bust out for that reason and that's why it's my number one horrified yeah horrified is enjoyable that's how i would put it um kind of very straightforward co-op game but fun yeah it feels like it's it could have been something that came out in like 2000s even 90s maybe i don't know yeah that's maybe putting a little bit too hopeful but it's yeah yeah, it feels old, but it's way fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And that's why I like kind of like um, that's what I like try to do with family members that haven't played any games is you know transition them. Like here's some familiarity. Like here's something that feels comfortable that you recognize, but then here's a little bit more. Let's talk about exactly. some honorable mentions. Fristo has quite a few, so let's let him start, and I might be crossing off some of mine. Yeah, I don't know if I should like say all of them really because there's just a lot of honorable mentions. But um, uh, let's just shout out a few. Hadara, um, I think Hadara is kind of pretty family level. I would say kind of very straightforward game, very easy to understand. Uh, I would say that's like my preferred kind of drafting slash engine building game. Um, really just kind of more drafting than engine building game. If I want like something simple, straightforward, uh, just kind of a fun game to play. A uh, very simple game of pushing up on tracks and getting income from those tracks. And that's pretty much the game is get some cards, push up on tracks, get income, and then rinse and repeat. There's some timing elements which make the game interesting and like obviously drafting concepts of, ooh, he's going for that, so maybe I should go for the other thing. But overall, really kind of fun game for me. Um, Black Fleet, I almost put that game, that, that game on my list because it's really good, I think. One of the best, in my opinion, pick up and delivers as far as like um, kind of on the simple side at least. There's probably more complicated games that are better, but uh, kind of a pirate game of your pirates and your... Uh, at first delivering things, there's a mechanic where you can fight people, but it's not with dice. Um, you can also send these like uh, frigates, the army frigates, to shoot 
your opponents and you kind of control it's the game is controlled by cards so you play a card and depending on the card you can move like the imperial frigates and you uh, depending on what's shown on the card, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I've played it, actually, but I just remember it being really cool. game also r ramps up. The more things you do, you get these powers which let you just move further. You can jump over these islands, which kind of is really cheesy. There's a big wave, and it washes you over the island. You can start attacking other people more, and but it feels like um, there is some take that for sure, but it feels like really good, in my opinion. Uh, Thern and Taxis, that's like a really cool game, I think. Uh, Tobago is a really cool game. Something recently that I played at SaltCon was Fertility, which I feel like is pretty family level, and it's really fun, in my opinion, and really kind of fascinating uh, little game. Ex Libris, I think, is kind of family level, which I really enjoyed. World's Fair, 1893. Majesty for the Realm, another kind of very simple, simple card river game and collect some stuff and do powers um baron park i really like that that was actually almost short list as well um i'd say clank new york 1901 i don't know there's some other ones but i'll stop there so you guys can say something as well so yeah what do you guys have um i got paper tails I think uh, a lot of people use like Seven Wonders as a family weight game, but I've seen that fail quite a few times. There can be some confusing rules in it. And I feel that even um, I've seen casual gamers who teach the game get rules wrong in this. Um, so I think Paper Tales is a good replacement for, for that. I think you could teach them Paper Tales and then bring them up to maybe Seven Wonders. Um, Century Spice Road. Very simple sort of engine building game. The engine is um, cards in your hand and you could play cards down and then you uh, will take an action to pick them back up. Uh, also Tiny Towns, which is also a bingo style game. Very simple, but very fun. Um, I would say if you're playing more than three players, I would say use the uh, variant where you're actually just randomizing what comes out um, with a deck of cards. Um, but if you're playing with less players, especially two, I kind of like the thing where you you choose which piece is getting added to the board. But that's all I got. Yeah, I agree with Tiny Towns. I think it comes to like uh, chaos again. You might set people up if it's more players and they keep choosing things that work with pe for people as opposed to the cards. But in a two-player game, you kind of want that control. Yeah, so yeah. Another point. You can block them. Games. But in a five-player game, you can't pay attention to everybody's board. Yeah. Yeah. So you're yeah. probably setting someone up inadvertently by you not just, like, not processing five people. And it's not that kind of game where you want to consider five people in your choices because right. that's just ridiculous. Yeah, I think you guys kind of hit the nail on the head as far as honorable mentions. I think those are all really good honorable mentions. Yeah, I mean... People would might say, like, why not take it to ride? I just don't like that game, to be honest. I, uh, I That style of game, I think there's just... I would say Council of Four even is better than Ticket to Ride. I don't know. Maybe it's not the same, though. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. It is similar. Actually, speaking of that, I have a two-player game, Pagoda. Uh, oh, kind yeah. of similar. Not really, though. 
you're collecting. There's a lot of cards which have the theme of collecting like colored cards to do stuff, including your game that you just talked about, the emotion one. I think that's kind of yep. has some ticket to ride like oh, elements yeah, to definitely, it. Definitely, yeah. And Copenhagen too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 Copenhagen, yep. Yeah. Which I would say I would probably rather teach Copenhagen to a family member than Ticket to Ride. I, I don't have anything against Ticket to Ride. I just like I, I played it a lot when when we were first starting to play and I did use this game as sort of like a gateway game for family members and I just got really tired of it and uh and it just like yeah, doesn't seem like much yeah. to it. Whereas like Risto's saying, there's other style of games that that kind of copy that uh play same colored card games that just have a little bit more interesting things happening in it. I like things that are more variable to your point. Yeah, maybe Karuba is not as variable, but um, like the Ticket to Ride kind of feels, I don't know. Um, my impression of Ticket to Ride was actually I played it very early on. Like before I was actually into board games and it didn't get me into board games. So I kind of blame it on, uh, I consider it a failure as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> for, for me, like it was supposed to get me into board games, but I played it and I was like, eh, it was okay, but I could just like, pass on playing this ever again really um i could kind of see how it kind of plays very similarly play to play and i was tired of it after like two or three games so yeah that's the i don't know i it's also just like really overused maybe as well so I yeah something unique right 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 and yeah. and i feel like new gamers or casual gamers or your family is going to be more interested in the theme than the mechanics and how, how many people are really interested in like co like connecting routes and and trains in general yeah i agree i mean maybe a lot because it is used a lot for as far as like gateway games go but um doesn't seem like an interesting theme to me personally <laughs> yeah i think the theme is actually not super the strong that doesn't have really a, a lot of appeal for me in that game yeah hey if you disagree with us or you want to give your input on your top three favorite family weight games you can visit our website www.cardsandcubes.com and you can contact us uh, you can contact us for just about anything but if you want to list your top three family weight games do so there and on that note, that will conclude our show. We would like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme that you're hearing right now. Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. You can find more of her art on Instagram at catcoffee. That's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E. -E. Cards and Cubes is a production of Pod Cauldron. You want to check out some other great podcasts in the Pod Cauldron network? Check out Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, or Rabble, 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 which is a comedic look at current events. And we will see you in a couple weeks. 